You're listening to the Eat with Grace podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Dr. Jackie Neinheis, registered dietitian and professor of culinary medicine. And I am your co-host, Brooke Fredrickson, registered dietitian and certified diabetes care and education specialist. And we are here to challenge a culture around food and nutrition from a biblical perspective. Welcome to the Eat with Grace podcast. Today, we are going to be talking about a book called Nudge. Uh, It's a book written by Richard Thaler and Cass Sunstein. And it's something that Jackie has brought up in conversation before because I know she had to, um, I think she had to write a write a report on it, but it was also just mentioned in a podcast that I was listening to last week. And so since it's come up twice, it's kind of sparked some conversation uh, between us about the premise behind it. And so we thought we would just take this podcast to talk about this book a little bit. I'm not sure if anyone has read it. I don't know if we're necessarily recommending that you read it, but if you uh, would like to listen in on our conversation today and and learn a little bit about uh, the concept behind it, I think that would be helpful for you. So Jackie, do you want to tell us a little bit about Nudge? The idea behind Nudge is um, what they call libertarian paternalism. And that's a really big word. And if we break it down, paternalism is just talking about the kinds of decisions maybe that a parent might make for a child. And um, libertarian is the idea that a person has choices. So a parent would give a child a choice. Okay, you could have an apple today or you could have an orange. But they don't give them a choice of some of the other ones that would be have more negative consequences for them. So they just give the choice between two good ones. So um, it's, it's kind of like having a freedom of choice. So when you look at this book, I mean, it has a wonderful title, Improving Decisions About Health, Wealth, and Happiness. It has a lot of good ideas in it. It starts out with example of in a school lunch program, if you put the healthier foods at eye level where the children can see it, that they're more likely to uh, choose those foods and some of the less healthier foods. So, so far, so good. This all sounds really wonderful. And they're talking about choice architecture where you set up the choices like the apple or the orange example. So there really are no bad choices. And I, I'm sure Brooke, you've used this with your kids and I know I've used it with mine. Like, okay, Uh, what do you want to put in your lunch today? You need a vegetable and a fruit. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I think this is actually something that I use with my clients a lot too. Um, Just it's, it's a way of changing your food environment that makes making that healthier choice a little easier. I know some people who really struggle with uh, maybe eating a lot of sweets or something. And I'm like, well, do you keep your cookies on the counter? Well, of course they do. So every time you walk through the kitchen, you see them and you take one. Well, if you put them in the cupboard, you know, maybe behind something, they're still there. You can still have them, but they're not going to be in your face all the time. And so I think some of those things can be good. I think they can be great in a family for a parent who is trying to guide their child. Um, But I know, Jackie, you've said that this book goes beyond parental you know, guidance, I guess, for children. And it actually is more or less the government making decisions for people. And so would you be willing to share a little bit about that aspect of the book? 
You know, and it really does go further than just um, in a family making those individual decisions. Mm -hmm. Like, let's take something that sounds really good, like the school lunch program where you're going to put the healthier foods front and center. So that's what the children choose. Well, first of all, I'm all for it as long as I get to choose what's considered healthy. But, you know, I'm all about fiber and I don't worry so much about red meat. So if I was going to do it, front and center might be some fiber items and it might be some red meat items. But the next person that's going to do the choice uh, architecture, they might decide, no, no, we don't want any whole grains because there's gluten involved there. So we want this Mm. to be all clean eating. So Mm. when we look at this, uh, the person who's making the decision, are they going to go with the idea of what's clean eating? Are they going to go with the idea of what they think is natural? Or are we going to go with another person's idea of what is healthy? And I want to put out the idea there that these three are totally in opposition to each other. So A food that's natural doesn't mean that it's healthy. And a food that's healthy does not mean that it has to be clean, whatever that possibly could mean. So having even one person decide what my family's going to eat is really disconcerting to me. Having a committee decide it is even worse. Having the government decide it is is on a whole nother level that uh, I just, I just can't even imagine how many political interests that they would be working with. And so this, this uh, food marketing company, they get front and center and this food company is going to be put in the back because they're not as well liked this year, or their label just doesn't look quite as nice or doesn't look as clean as another one. So that's so interesting. And I think too, the the thing that popped into my head when you were describing that is probably this whole um, messaging around climate change and animal agriculture. And how, you know, animals are being blamed for all of this global warming. And the answer is we all become vegan. Well, there's a lot of nuance in that. Um, I think there's a lot of um, exaggerated truths in those kind of statements. And so, yeah, do we really want other people having that kind of power over our food choices? That's kind of a dangerous line to be crossing because, right, what are the ideologies of the people making those choices and what are the belief systems and do they really have our best interests at heart? And I think all of those are really, really things that we need to consider and be concerned about when, when we think of uh, the control or the choices coming from a small group of people that live so far away from us and don't know our individual likes and health preferences and beliefs and all these other things. And, you know, we talk about we want to embrace diversity. Well, we need to embrace diversity in food and food Mm -hmm. traditions of different cultures. There's a research study that I always found very interesting. And they were looking at preschoolers and the impact of uh, serving breakfast at preschool, uh, a free breakfast, and what impact it had on these children's weight. And the interesting thing is that they found that there was a group of Asian American families who did not believe 
that the breakfast served at the preschool was an appropriate breakfast. Mm -hmm. Instead of complaining and saying, oh, this isn't healthy, this isn't nutritious, we don't want that kind of food. Instead, they prepared their own breakfast in the morning and the children ate the breakfast at home that was very a traditional Asian American kind of breakfast. And then they'd go to daycare and they were given another breakfast. And no one really realized this was happening. Of course, the parents knew and the kids knew, but you know, the daycare workers still gave them the second breakfast. And the researchers found this did not mean that their weights were any higher than all the other preschoolers. And so being culturally appropriate was a good thing in those situations. Maybe that breakfast meant that it was a time where the family was all together and ate the same food, ate different food. You know, it's hard to know exactly what was served at the preschool, but I can guess because the preschools that I have seen when they serve breakfast and the breakfast that's served through the school lunch program are often prepackaged foods. So they take the prepackaged foods, they put it in a sack lunch, and that's what the children have. And most of the time, those are pastries or muffins or something else that's packaged. And then um, this might be very, very nutritious for a child who has no other food and had no breakfast available to them. So I don't want to say that's not nutritious, but in some homes, those people would look at those meals and say, okay, that's really not what I consider a healthy food. And I can give my child a much better start to their day than that kind of food. So who's going to decide are the packaged breakfasts that have pastries uh, in a little cellophane bag, you know, is that appropriate? Well, it's appropriate for different populations at different times. Right. Right, exactly. And I know um, this is something that I see public health, it's going to become more common, I think, in public health programs about um, how they're going to, how they're going to promote this and to do some of this choice architecture in it. I know there are some states, uh, I think New York was one of them, didn't they do a soda tax or limit the uh, the amount? Didn't they have a law passed or something where you could only sell a soda that was less than so many ounces? It'll be interesting to see over time how that works and if it does make a difference in what they did. I, I don't know enough about that New York law, but um, did they notice that, a difference in, in soda consumption? I think I think it's actually been repelled. <gasps> oh. But, but the thing about um, setting a law, think of a construction worker who is working in an incredibly humid, hot environment, and they're working really hard all day long. And all of a sudden, they say, you can no longer have this 32 ounce drink. And what I have heard the arguments behind it is there is no one that needs to drink that much liquid, but you know, that's not always true that even if that liquid is sweetened or artificially sweetened or has caffeine in it or whatever, it is still fluids. And some people have high fluid needs based on a blue collar job. And so I think people making the decision probably have never worked in a blue collar setting. And they do not realize how 
these people depend upon getting enough fluids in a form that most of us wouldn't be endorsing. Right. And they are probably expending a ton of energy. And so in order to, um, and right, I'm not promoting drinking 32 ounces of soda, but I mean, you know, maybe they need that kind of energy. That's somewhere where they're getting their carbohydrate from in the day. Um, because that's where they have access to it. Like they have time to drink something, but they don't have time to eat it or something depending on what their job is. So yeah, there's just, again, there's always nuance when it comes to food and nutrition and people's um, choices around it. And we both agree that all foods fit. And so who's going to be the person or the committee, like you said, who determines, again, which foods are good, which foods are bad. And how do we, how do we put that into context of like real life and, and, and claiming that all foods fit when, when all of a sudden the government or some group is going to start telling us that we can't eat these things um, and start labeling these foods that way. Yeah. I just think it, it, it could create all kinds of problems. Um, and like you said, especially if uh, marketing and lobbying and food industry gets involved because uh, they're going to want their product on that good list. Right. So uh, I think there'll be lots of money, <laughs> money involved in those decisions on um, what gets added to that and what, what gets taken off. I do too. I do too. And when we think of public policy, I think we really have to think about how it affects the family and how it affects, um, does, you know, is the family allowed to maintain their values and their beliefs? And when we think about pushing back on the culture, uh, with, with a biblical perspective, we have to think about that in our individual family, maybe um, we like to read the Bible in the morning as we eat breakfast. And the most important thing is that we're sharing a time together. We're sharing some of God's words. We're looking for direction for our day. And if somebody's mandating what I eat for breakfast, it's like, okay, that is really inconsequential compared to the things that I am trying to teach my children. And if my children come home from school and say, mom, we were told today that we can't eat this because that's not good for us. I can say, wait a minute, that muffin has um, bran in it. It has wheat germ in it. I added extra fiber to it. It has um, antioxidants with blueberries. Yeah, maybe it's not as nutritious as just plain blueberries, but you know what? The important thing is that we are doing scripture reading. We are trying to set up our day in the best way we possibly can. And that's the food we have available to us today. Right. And I think so much of this, again, is going to come back to, uh, you know, your, your level of um, access to certain foods and uh, financial, you know, what, what is your budget? Can you afford certain things? I think if they start saying we can't have certain foods or, or making it more difficult, I know they've talked about taxing even unhealthier foods to make them more expensive than healthier foods. I think the concept of that is great. Uh, how that plays out in reality, I'm not so sure, you know. Um, like you said, they, they already repealed that 
soda limit that they had in New York. I'm not sure what the reason was behind repealing that. Do you know? Did they just find that it wasn't helpful or did they just have such pushback that they got rid of it? I think a combination. Okay. Yeah. Of that. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I, I love to believe that people are capable of making their own choices about um, food and health and what's best for their family. Do I agree with everyone's choices? Probably not. Um, but I do think that that's something that, that we both value is, is the individual ability to make our own decisions as adults, right? And to not feel like, um, like we're being pressured in a certain way that right might not go against or that might go against our values in any way or that might uh, eliminate something that is very normal and, you know, traditional and part of our, our family's eating patterns. So, you know, it can go right back to, um, how we feed our children, because I know when my children were small and then as they grew into young children and as they grew into teenagers, you know, they did not always make the best choices about food, but at some point it's no longer my decision. And it's no longer me forcing my teenager or my young adult to eat the way I want them to eat. And um, the Bible says you train up a child in the way they should go. And when they're old, they will not depart from it. You just have to have faith and believe that that covers a whole multitude of different ways of parenting, that we parent the best we can. And um, we teach our children the best we can, but then there comes a time where they're going to make decisions and you really have to let go and you have to let them make the decisions that they want to make. How much more so is that true in public policy that we have to allow people to make the decisions that they want to make? Now, there's two um, arguments that we could make. One argument is, look, People are not going to make good decisions, and it's impossible to educate every single person on how to make good decisions, so we just have to make the decision for them. The other side says, you know what, we can educate people on what is uh, the best choices, and people can make changes in their life. God does work in our lives, and we do change and can change from the inside out. So it's kind of the belief in, does God help us to change and to form new habits? Or are we stuck and people are never going to make good decisions and we just have to make them for them? Yeah, that is a really interesting way to think of that. Um, it, It reminded me of, I don't know if I've ever shared this before. Uh, my husband <clears throat> would be considered probably a dietitian's nightmare when it comes to the food that he eats. Um, I knew this when I married him. And of course, as a young, naive bride, my goal was to change him, right? I was going to make him this super healthy eater. Um, but that didn't work right? So I could have done all kinds of manipulative things to get him to eat the way that I wanted him to, and to give up his six sodas a day. Um, but I felt like the, the more that I tried, the harder he pushed against me, you know, it was like, it's like I was trying to create almost that parent-child relationship, which is not healthy in a marriage. Um, and so it was one of those things that I had to let go, you know, like, 
I just needed to be okay with my husband making his own decisions, even though they weren't the decisions that I would make for myself. He was an adult. He was capable. He knew, you know, the consequences of his decisions. He still chose to make them that way. And I just had to let go. And um, I, I can say our marriage is much better because of it. Um, he still is a very um, rather unbalanced eater. Maybe I should put it that way. Uh, but anyway, it's it, it reminds me of that same thing of just, you know, someone else trying to control the decision and the health and the lifestyle of someone else. And it, it just never goes well. And so um, there comes the point, too, when you're making a nudge that it's unethical. Like if you set up a situation, so a person is eating something, they don't know what they're eating. Um, they don't know what choices are out there and having to make this choice. It's unethical, not for the government to make these choices for us and really not be uh, transparent and open about what's going on. So I think that um, they're talking about improving decisions about health, wealth, and happiness. I want to say who's health? whose wealth and whose happiness and who's to say that those are better decisions. Right. And like you said, I think it all goes back to who is the person making the decisions for us? Who is the person doing the nudging and do they really have our best interest at heart? I would like to think that if it's someone close to you, if it's a family member within that context, uh, yes, they probably do. But any, anyone outside of your close family and friends circle um, likely doesn't. I just, I, I just, they, there isn't that close connection. There isn't that accountability there um, or any kind of loyalty. And so I can see uh, the corruption that would come in to those, to those decision-making. And even if the person does have um, altruistic um you know, that's, that's what they're looking at. And that's what they really believe. It's still kind of like your husband, he should be able to make his own decisions. It's just like every single one of us should be able to make our own decisions. And we are going to be better for it. Yes, there are going to be failures, there's going to be times when they don't make the choice we want them to. But we are going to be better for it. Because more often, more people will be making their own decision. And as we educate them, and as they learn um, about making food decisions, it's going to improve. Right. And like I've said before, I'm a huge believer in personal responsibility. I think we are all responsible for our own decisions. Um, and that's the way that it should be. And we live with the consequences of our decisions. And um, that's, that's just what being an adult is. So yeah. Is there anything else about the book that you want to highlight or share or any last thoughts well, about it? Well, they talk about... Um heuristics a lot. And heuristics is taking, um, when we make a decision, there might be 10 different factors you could consider. But a heuristic would be taking the top one and making a decision based on that. And uh, so it's kind of a shortcut to making decisions. Okay. And they're suggesting that this choice architecture, that we take shortcuts so that um, it's easier for uh, someone above us, whether it's the, the community, whether it's the um, 
local government or federal government, it's easier for them to make the decisions for us. And I just can't even imagine a benefit in, in doing it that way. But I do see that there could be a benefit in teaching our kids and um, helping those around us uh, make better decisions about food and that they can base it on just one thing. Is it a food you enjoy? And are you eating a variety of foods? And are you eating all of these other foods in moderation? Yeah, I think that's a, that's a good way to look at it. Definitely. So this is a really big topic. And when you hear the word nudge, as far as the government nudging us in a certain direction, you have to ask, you know, where in our past has this happened before? And what were the consequences when government was uh, making the decisions for these groups of people? And do we want to go there? Right, yeah, no, it's definitely a much bigger topic than just food, um, for sure, but uh, I think, I think food is where it's going to come in. I could, I can see that from from the public health standpoint. Uh, that's a really easy place to to justify uh, this kind of this kind of direction from the government. So, but I hope this conversation today about nudge has kind of opened our eyes a little bit to see what's going on and to realize, um, you know, what something that sounds good might not be all positive. And this is part of pushing back on the culture. If everybody's accepting this as good, we have to ask, is this biblical? Is this a direction that God would want us to go? Right. I agree. Okay. Well, thank you for listening today. Um, if you have any questions, please reach out to us on Instagram. Um, and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. Have a great day. Thank you.